We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking again tonight at one of the fruits of our hope in Christ, uh, which we see here is uh, perseverance uh, or endurance, uh, which is inspired by hope. Hope, in other words, enables us to keep on going when the going is hard. Your endurance inspired by hope. Before we look at the, the text specifically, uh, we'll do something of a, of a resume of what we've been looking at uh, in these messages on Christian hope. Hope is the forward look of the Christian life. As Christians, we are living between the two comings of Jesus, between uh, his coming to Bethlehem and his coming again. This is how James Packer puts it. Christians are to look backward and forward, back to the manger, the cross and the empty tomb whereby salvation was won for them, forward to their meeting with Christ beyond this world, their personal resurrection and the joy of being with their Savior in glory forever. So Christians are always directing their thoughts back in faith to the act of Christ for us and forward in hope. Hope in that Christian sense that we underlined early on. That's not a wistful imagining of what might or might not be. But a sure confidence in what lies ahead such that it affects our present living. Now in the New Testament uh, you'll know that repeatedly we find faith love and hope uh, in a trinity, as it were, together. Faith, love and hope. Uh, on New Year's Day we were looking at uh, that in 1 Corinthians 13 in the great uh, epistle to, hope, to, to love. And we, we saw faith, love and hope linked together there. Paul does the same here in the opening epistle, a chapter to the Thessalonians. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope, faith, love, hope, the backward look of the believer in faith, the present activity of the believer in love, the forward look in hope to our return, our returning saviour. We saw already that hope provides a stability for us as Christians. It's like an anchor to our lives. Uh, Hebrews 6, 18 to 19. Uh, we are those who have fled to take hold of this hope as an anchor for the soul. Uh, then on New Year's Day we were looking at the relationship between hope and love. Love is underpinned by hope. Hope is the refusal to take failure as final. And then last Lord's evening we looked at the difference between true hope and false hope. We saw that many people are pinning uh, their hope on things which are simply on the outside, things which don't affect our heart or our relationship with God. Uh, but true hope is based on uh, the inward change to the heart, that which is unseen. And over the next uh, few Sundays, God willing, we're going to look at other aspects of the fruit of hope. Uh, aspects such as 
uh, joy and boldness and generosity. But we're looking tonight at uh, endurance or, or perseverance as a fruit of hope. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. John Calvin called this verse a brief definition of true Christianity. And it is, in brief compass, it has the, the essentials of the Christian life. Faith, uh, each one of them is, is looking outward rather than inward. Faith is looking out to God, love is looking out to others, and hope looking towards the future. John Stott says, every Christian without exception is a believer, a lover, and a hoper. Not necessarily an optimist, because that is down to temperament, but a hoper, because hope relates to theology. So let's go to our text. Paul says that our hope in our Lord Jesus Christ will inspire in us endurance. What is endurance? Endurance isn't simply for you or for me to, to grit our teeth and doggedly get on with things. It's much more positive. It's much brighter. Uh, Leon Morris uh, writes here, he says, uh, what is meant is not a quiet, passive resignation but an active constancy in the face of difficulty. You might have read or you might have heard the title of Eugene Peterson's book, uh, which goes, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a, it's a lovely summary of the Christian life. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction, which immediately indicates that in this Christian life, we need to keep on. We need to be people who are persevering who stick to the task because the task of following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. We've got to live consistently for, for Christ, pleasing him uh, and serving others despite the difficulties that we might face. And this is, this is a key ingredient in the life of a Christian to the extent that it can be a defining characteristic. When John is writing to uh, believers uh, in the first century uh, from Patmos, uh, he introduces himself as, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. That's it. There's a kingdom for us, but there's also patient endurance. And there's suffering. We don't pick and mix. We're granted the gift to suffer with Christ if we're to reign with him. Your companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. It's a real challenge, isn't it? Especially at this time of year, as we think that we're barely starting a new year. We're only into our second Sunday in 2013. So it's, it's a real question. How, how am I, how are you going to keep on keeping on, living consistently for Jesus, living in a way that uh, will not let our Saviour down, living for his glory? How do we do that 
when uh, your circumstances or my circumstances might turn out to be very difficult in this year. Or where we have a medical condition perhaps that makes uh, the Christian life complicated. When there are emotional or relational problems or financial obstacles or where normal human encouragements just seem to evaporate and vanish. How do we keep on? Sometimes it's quite easy to start, isn't it? To start a a Christian work, to start a new project. There's great enthusiasm and encouragement. Uh, You see this this kind of situation. Go to any uh, induction of a a minister, and of course the, the, the church will always be crowded. And there will be great excitement and anticipation. And down the line it can be very different uh, for uh, especially a a young minister going to a first charge. All of the the upbeat stuff becomes a memory. And it's all about hanging in there and persevering and going past the difficulties and the obstacles. So how do you and I Endure? How do we persevere when the attractiveness of a particular Christian service or the encouragement that came initially with it has gone? How do we keep on keeping on? Without the endurance of hope, the work of faith and the labor of love will simply prove to not to be a work of God, but just a love of the limelight. And we're living in a generation where stickability is a very, very scarce commodity. We don't do it well. We don't stick to the task well in our day. And if we follow scripture, we'll be going against the tide. We'll be countercultural. Let's look, uh, to begin with, at some of the, some of the factors that, that make it so necessary for us to, to be clear about the need for endurance. Why is endurance so essential? Well, first of all, m- most obviously, uh, you need to have this grace of endurance because if you're a believer, you're going to be opposed. No discussion. That's simply the way it is. Anyone who's serious about following Jesus Christ, will be opposed. Now, you wouldn't be opposed if you're a nominal or a pretend Christian. If it's not uh, something which is real, then there wouldn't be opposition. But if you're seeking to obey Jesus, then people will will, will oppose you. Jesus himself uh, gave us warning of this. Jesus said, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So we'll be opposed. And there will be the usual flashpoints in uh, Christians' experience where this will happen. Uh, Whenever we, we stand out as being different there will be opposition. Uh, when, you, when your language is notably different because it's not peppered with, with swear words, then uh, you will be patronized or even ridiculed. 
uh, if you decline to go to the, the function that you know is going to be completely unsavory, then you will be ridiculed. When you begin to speak to your non-Christian friends about your faith, then you may well meet with a negative reaction. There's a continual pressure, a continual opposition to being uh, open and positive in your Christian life. And the temptation will always be to go for the quiet life. The Lord has left us with this great task of bringing in the nations, of proclaiming the gospel, of being ambassadors for Christ. And we can expect that this is not going to go without opposition. And we will need to be strengthened with endurance. There's opposition. Uh, there's discouragements. We meet with discouragements along the way. People that we had high hopes for uh, turn out not to be the genuine article. People we invest time and patience in their lives turn out to have no interest at all in the Christian faith. Uh, a ministry that we had put a lot of energy into, perhaps we had put our, our money into, simply collapses, falls apart. Maybe our work or our relationships uh, take a nosedive for reasons that are out with our control. Things simply happen that are discouraging and we feel that we're in a, a quagmire of discouragement. We can't make progress. Things are really pretty bleak. Uh, a legend told of, of, of a man who was shown the, the, the devil's workshop and the devil is showing him around all of the various instruments uh, for uh, undermining the, the work of Christ's kingdom. This weapon used for sowing false doctrine. Uh, this for sowing discord in families. This one for stirring up envy and so on. And then the man notices uh, in the corner uh, a particular tool with the, the, uh, the blade looking polished with wear. And he asks, what's that? The devil replies, oh, that's for sowing discouragement. It's the most effective weapon I have. It gets a lot of use. Discouragement is one of the devil's uh, great tools. So there's opposition and discouragement. And then there's the fact of the frailty of our bodies. We're living in what Paul referred to as our tent. And as we go on, this tent is getting threadbare and full of holes and it's going to get taken down one day and it's going to be replaced with a house, a glorious house. But right now it's getting leaky and drafty. And some of God's people have got tremendous uh, health problems to contend with. Uh, things which make Christian service difficult, even perhaps private prayer, something that's hard. When you start out uh, and you are a young believer, then you have the advantage of energy and, and, and good health. Uh, as you go on, these things uh, perhaps diminish. These earlier advantage, advantages disappear. The frailty of our bodies. And Paul tells the Thessalonians that their hope in the Lord Jesus will inspire endurance, will help them to keep on despite the fact that there's opposition and discouragement and their bodies are getting frail. 
their hope in the Lord Jesus. What is this hope in the Lord Jesus? Well, it's the hope of his return, uh, the renewal and the reward that will come with him. One of the great definitions of hope is Titus 2.11. Uh, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is a marvelous verse. It's just such a, a little summary of what the Christian life is all about. Here, Paul speaks about the glorious appearing. The word is, is uh, related to the word that we use, epiphany, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul uh, favors uh, the word parousia, the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that word had a use uh, in first century circles of the coming of an emperor or royalty in great pomp on a great state occasion to acclaim a very public event. Jesus is coming, coming when all eyes will see him with the glory of the angels. There will be the sound of the trumpet. There will be acclamation at his coming. He is coming as Lord of Lords. It will cause dismay, we're told in the Bible, to those who have despised him and rejected him. But when you and I behold the Lord Jesus coming, we will be thrilled. We will be filled with joy. We will be saying in our hearts, here is my King. Jesus is returning. This is our hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That is our blessed hope. And with that return will come renewal. Renewal. The renewal of all things. Every part of creation at the present is affected by the fall. Every aspect. The animal kingdom. The mineral world. And certainly our bodies. Our physical constitution is affected by the fall. When Jesus comes again, he is, we're told, to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. All will be made new and the curse of the fall will be removed completely. And there will be for you and for me a perfect environment in which we will serve God with redeemed Resurrection, glorious bodies. And this, friends, is such a practical doctrine. God willing, tomorrow, uh, my brother and I go up to the funeral of an uncle who had Alzheimer's for the last five years. And this disease completely changed his personality. And my dear aunt had a difficult time continuing to care for him and to show her continuing love to him. But tomorrow there will be that note of triumph because there is a day coming when 
he will have a new body, a glorious body. And all that had made his life so painful to behold in these last years will not even be remembered. A blessed hope because he is a believer. Renewal and reward. Jesus is bringing his reward. And we are working not for our salvation in terms of earning our salvation, but we are working in a grateful response of love. And yet, at the same time, Jesus has assured us that he, in the generosity of grace, will bestow a reward on those who endure to the end. There will be that note of well done, good and faithful servant. And there is no contradiction in being constrained by love for Jesus and at the same time looking forward to our reward when he returns. This is our blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And Paul says that this inspires endurance. If we have this to the fore of our minds, he says, it inspires endurance. When you're opposed, when you're discouraged, when your body's beginning to creak and groan, we have a forward look which energizes us and helps us to keep going. How does it work? Well, let us simply think of four ways in which this blessed hope does function to inspire endurance. We know, first of all, that there is a destination in sight. But we're not on a, you know, we're not on a treadmill. We're going to a destination. Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. There was a woman who swam it in one direction before. She swam it in both directions. She also attempted to swim from an island off uh, California, Catalina Island, to the California coast. And her first attempt at this, there was quite a, a, a large distance, her first attempt failed largely because the, the mist descended and she became utterly discouraged. She was 15 hours in chilling waters and she felt that she was on an endless uh, expedition. And she said after uh, giving, when she gave up only half a mile from her goal, she told a reporter, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. Well, she had a second attempt. And again, mist obscured the coastline. She couldn't see the shore, but she kept telling herself, there is land there. There is a destination. And she made it, and she broke the men's record by two hours. Now, we don't know when Jesus is returning, but we know he is returning. We know we have a blessed hope. And you know, sometimes in, in the worship of Jesus, we have, as it were, little glimpses of glory. And that is, as it were, the mist being lifted for a little while to assure us that the coast is there. We are heading 
to a destination. Peter writes, the end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Keep on doing these things. Keep on doing them. Secondly, we simply don't know when the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will take place. It could take place in our lifetime. And therefore, the implication is that we are to live with urgency. Jesus said many times uh, to his disciples to, to watch and pray. He could return and catch them unawares. What a dreadful thing it would be to be caught unawares and ashamed at the appearance of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It would be dreadful, wouldn't it, to, to be unconverted, to be in a state of sin, unforgiven, to have told ourselves that there was plenty of time to get serious, plenty of time to, to believe into Jesus Christ, but also for the believer uh, to be in a, in a condition of lethargy or backsliding when Jesus returned. Jesus says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Thirdly, the reward that awaits us is so, 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 so much greater than the costliness of serving Jesus. We're in the realms here of spiritual profit and loss. You see, there is a cost to serving Jesus. There is a cost. Jesus continually challenged would-be disciples face up be realistic to the cost that's involved in following if anyone would be my disciple he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me and there is a cost to praying alone with God there is a cost to reading your Bible to speaking about Jesus to others to turning the other cheek when people treat you badly, to doing good to those who hate you. Um, there are times when you rise early and others are lying in. There are times when you go to meetings at the church when uh, others are watching football. And these decisions are repeated again and again. We're to count the cost and we're to keep going. And how do we keep going? Well, we keep going because we have made the calculation that what lies ahead of us outweighs by far any opposition, discouragement, or any of the, the things that make following Jesus hard. It simply is far better to follow Jesus. You know, I, I don't get it, but you know how people, uh, when the January sales are on, you get some folks that decide it's, it's worthwhile to, to camp outside the stores and they take sleeping bags and they, they stay overnight so that they can be right at the front of the queue 
when the doors open in next, they will be there to grab uh, the, the suits and the dresses and whatever. Crazy. But they have made a decision. They have made a calculation. There is a gross inconvenience attached to sleeping out in front of a store. But they reckon that the game makes it worthwhile. Well, that is exactly how it is with the Christian life. Whatever sacrifices that we have to make to follow Jesus are absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing in comparison to the glory of knowing him and all that is laid up for us. Listen, this is a great passage from Hebrews where the writer is, is reminding them that uh, the, the costliness that they have experienced up to this point in following Jesus is as nothing as to what lies ahead. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. And at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. What enabled them to keep on? He continues, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions they made the calculation they hoped in God and they persevered you recall I, I, I quoted I was telling you about the, the fact that uh, in this uh, refugee camp Bible college um, in, along the Thai Burmese border where 400 students get taught they had this terrible fire spread from the kitchen and gutted everything and the leader of the, the Bible college, the, the, the head of the college, Pastor Simon, was left with nothing but the clothes he was standing up in. And this is what he said afterwards. We lost everything with the fire, but we still have everything because God is our everything. Endurance inspired by hope. That is what is keeping him and countless others like him. May we ask God to give us this endurance in the week ahead of us, in the reality of our day-to-day -day living for Jesus. May we be inspired by our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless to us, preaching of his word.